I'm Mark Steadman, and I'm not panicking. This is just a culture shock. I'm Danny Smith. I always thought something was fundamentally wrong with the universe. I'm Joe Bands, and I'm mostly harmless, if that's the only thing. I'm John Hickman, and it's funny how just when you think life can't possibly get any worse, it suddenly does. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard, 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 leopard. From our hermetically sealed bunkers deep within the bowels of the outpost, Beware of the Leopard presents the Don't Panic Guide to the Apocalypse. It's March 2020 as we record this, and so it probably hasn't escaped your attention that this was recorded in what we now call the New World. I missed that before times, lads. Do you remember? Do you remember windows and sunlight? I've been sunbathing. I genuinely have a tan. <laughs> In March, a goth tan. He has a goth tan. It has been re really good. It has been re really good this week. I've been sitting out in the garden and all my freckles are joined up like seriously have you never had a Northfield tan mate it's uh, it's quite special it's beautiful I mean it's, it's we've learned a lot of things um, in the last couple of weeks what's actually essential it turns out to be rubbish cleaners not bankers and things but and uh, in with the whole sort of new technology thing, we've learnt that Karen from uh, HR isn't the worst person at online meetings. <laughs> it's interesting that you use the word apocalypse because, uh, of course, apocalypse means the great revealing. And I think there's a lot of people that are having a, a lot See, of important things actually fucking revealed to them. For example, pay your fucking cleaners pay the NHS, pay the fucking nurses. Like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous we clap for them. It's it's embarrassing and it's ridiculous that we did that. Uh, I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, and it's it's not because I don't support the troops. It's because, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather just, like, pay them a decent wage and support them uh, than, than uh, yeah, I mean, we, we all get it. I don't need to get on that particular soapbox because we're, we're all, you're all on that soapbox with me, but, like, yeah, how about we actually um, do uh, things that are uh, full gestures as opposed to empty ones? There's there's a, there's an idea. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Hiko, you worked a lot from home already, right? So yep. this isn't a super change? Uh, I mean, there's a lot more people in my house than there used to be. Oh, no, it's a big change for Hiko because, yeah, everybody's now where, where Hickman works. <laughs> yeah, working from home used to be a little bit of a rest. So the, one of the things about working from home or working remotely, which is what I, I do, is is that a lot of people like to talk it up like it's something uh, kind of special and shiny and that to do it, you have to be in some way special or shiny. And you're all talking about a revealing Danny. It's like, like any prick can do this, right? You just don't leave the house. Yeah, it's not like you need a Bloomberg terminal. You know, you, you can you can just you can just do it on your phone or you you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, this, well, this can so you work we... on an iPad? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, there... no one can work on an iPad, John. That's ex- that's exactly it. There's so I don't many even people. Know what you do so? Who me? Yeah, he's Chandler Bing. I work in computers, mate. That's fine. <laughs> Are you a systems analyst or a sure. one of those great analysts? <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> that makes you happy. Oh, no. That's fine. <laughs> that was a question. He's, it wasn't. It wasn't he's an accusation. Not, but sure. That's, that's okay. If 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 that makes You're some sense submissive. to you. Oh, you wouldn't understand. I would. You wouldn't understand yeah, what I was. do. Dan, you wouldn't. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what it was. I didn't understand what he does. He just never has explained it to me. He, he hands out T-shirts to people who are angry. Yeah. <laughs> that's about right. That's fine. Mate? That's fine. We'll say that's what I do. That's okay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm, you're super defensive about what you do. 
Shut up, you're defensive. Danny, you after a T-shirt? <laughs> yeah, so a, a lot of people have built like online online kind of brands for themselves about you know productivity and uh, and and new ways of working and all this sort of stuff. And and really, things are coming home to roost for them because everyone their gig is up. Everybody knows that it's it's, it's pretty easy. You just get on with your day, have a couple of cups of tea, do the hoovering when you should be like having a break when you're having a break and, and that's about it it's, it's not hard it's not hard at all but it is much much harder when your house is full are you kidding i have a friend both me and mike have a friend that literally does that as a job mm-hmm. and he's on the bbc tomorrow talking about it like he's he's doing all right out of this it's bloody revealing though isn't it it's like um when you finally find out that your job wasn't that mm-hmm. necessary Mm-hmm. Uh, and the world is going to continue. I, I mean, I've been working. I have been working hard, but um, yeah, they they don't need me anymore. Yeah, we're not key workers, are we? Like none of us is is uh, none of us is key. It seems that's what we're finding out now. We're all beakers. <laughs> I mean, you Sorry. know, I used to I used to be um, a media studies lecturer, mate. You can't get much more uh, <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> than me. <laughs> Oh, mate, no, I could be that. Right. Yeah, it's employment status, working on his next novel. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's someone in the element of cute, like, that's down there. It's as uh, Peter Cook used to say to someone, to, oh, what, do you, what do you do? He says, oh, I'm working on a novel. And you go, oh, that's a, that's a coincidence. Neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing's materially changed for me. Um it's 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 weird in that like everything else has changed in the world. Um, the world has continued uh, being weird and, and and confusing and and sometimes scary. Um, but all that I've really noticed is that I can only go to the co-op once a week, and when I do, this um, X's on the floors that tell me how far away I can stand from the next person. Oh, this is weird, isn't it? This new th- system of yeah, of that freaked me out. Sticky tape on the that, floor, that marking out boxes where you're supposed to stand, which is yeah, great. They've like kind it. of gamified going to the corner shop in a way. <laughs> they've, they've turned it into Tetris, which is a little a bit Japanese more fun. game show. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, but there's, there's still not there's still no prizes. You still can't win anything. You know, congratulations, you stood on this step. Now you can have the last loaf of bread that's in the shop, uh, but, you know, uh, steer, steer clear of the, the patrons who are waiting to come in because they're going to try and steal your bread. Well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a virtual medal that you get when, you're, uh, when you are playing a computer game where it just goes, oh, go to your trophy cabinet. Look, here's a picture of a toilet roll. Yeah. They talked about newspaper websites taking over, but you can't wipe your arse off. How's it... How's it um, how's it changing for uh, for Mr. Bounder? Um, well, I'm a few weeks ahead of you because um, I had a, I had a really oh what happens I had, <laughs> <laughs> nothing um, literally nothing it was given to the government in January oh he's on Italy time <laughs> yeah. well basically I had a really bad cough a few weeks ago I've still got the remnants of it now but I had a really bad cough and it was like it wasn't that you were told you couldn't go out or anything although. I'd started thinking that when I went to meetings or to the shops or whatever, I wasn't that welcome. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, okay, we'll follow these. It's like when you, you're a spaceship powered by uh, the coronavirus or bad news. You get there and you <laughs> realise that no one wants you to be there in the first place. So I took that. I 
was self-isolating for 14 days pretty much before you were all put on lockdown. You, a hipster to the yeah. to the very last, aren't you, John? You were isolated before it was cool. Definitely. Definitely. He likes its early stuff. I had a cold like a week before, so I've been isolating for two and a half weeks now already, just in case. It's just that everyone else has caught up with, obviously, me and John <laughs> being the coolest fucking ill people. Well, you know, I've, I've been isolating since 2006. It's called living alone and being single. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the saddest thing I've laughed at. <laughs> There's a five star review for the podcast right there. <laughs> no, it's just that I haven't. I haven't been to shops. I haven't seen this. In fact, it wasn't until yesterday. It was the first time I went outside the house in about three weeks, and oh, I man. was shit scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 changed, and it's weird. Don't like it. I, I texted my brother, like, I, I went, I think, on, on the uh, Wednesday, Tuesday or the Wednesday, um, to go and, and get a few bits of shopping in. Took took my two, re, you know, my, my two bags for life. Remember how important it was that we had bags for life? Well, now it seems that they don't need to last as long as they might otherwise have done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've known for ages. That's why those bags only last two or three years. <laughs> we never said whose life. Life in quote yeah. marks. If you can call it life. <laughs> Good until the end of the world. How's uh, how's how's it treating Danny? Um, I'm. I mean, I'm joking about it, but I'm genuinely terrified. I'm genuinely scared. Not for me. I'm a mm. I'm a healthy uh, specimen, and I I'm fat enough. I mean, I should be able to withstand pretty much anything, but. Like, uh, as I said, my dad's super, super vulnerable. And, uh, like, I'm genuinely, genuinely worried. Like, um, I know we're laughing about it. and uh, But, yeah, a little bit worried, trying to keep myself busy. I did an amazing thing, which is um, a bit of fucking note-perfect synchronicity, is I handed the book, the project. I've had homework in my head for the past two years. I'm writing a book, and I've like at the back of my head, whenever I'm doing anything, there's always a voice saying, you should be doing that. Don't enjoy yourself. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. It's like having homework every day of your life, somebody said. Um, and I've had that for like two fucking years. The day that I hand it off and can't do anything about it, hand it to the person that I trust the most to edit it, can't do anything about it, is the first day that lockdown begins and i've got nothing but fucking time guilt-free time to work on it yeah yeah uh, so in, 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 so, in so many ways you are the worst affected yeah i mean i mean i know when, when, when are we having clap for danny smith <laughs> <laughs> he's already had plenty. danny's got the clap what a lot of people have had clap for danny smith <laughs> we can't all rush in the doorway to get the same joke because one of us is going to cough on someone else and it's going to be a nightmare <laughs> We have to we have to space out our jokes uh, at least two meters apart. As a uh, C podcast episodes one to seventy four. Yes. <laughs> so uh, a podcast recorded during the COVID nineteen outbreak uh, would be nothing if not chock full of unsolicited advice. Um, so to that end. We've all been busy uh, drafting submissions to the next edition of the Hitchhiker's Guide, and uh, first to kick us off with an entry on meetings. Meetings is Mr Hickman. Uh, yeah, so a lot of us are finding out um, whether or not all the meetings we've been going to were actually needed, and probably most of them most of them weren't. So, um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert, exactly. So to, so to that end, I think the guide needs to tell us um, about whether or not uh, a meeting's uh, important. So the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide entry for a meeting is as follows. Do we need to have a meeting? 
This is a question used by people who definitely don't want to have a meeting. Often the question, do we need to have a meeting, is used by people who would rather have a nice lunch. It is a question used, for example, by Lig Lurie Jr., the editor of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, on the last morning he was seen. Lig Lurie Jr. remains very much at lunch, with his work overseen ever since by acting editors who, for some reason, would rather have meetings than go to lunch. Generally speaking, it is well known that we do not need to have a meeting, that lunch would be much nicer, that your insistence on having the meeting is all rather tiresome, and yes, we will have a second bottle of that nice red, thank you. The universe is divided into those who would prefer to have a meeting and those who would not. This is despite all evidence suggesting that no work has ever actually been achieved in a meeting. Nothing can be achieved in a meeting because the moment substantial work is tabled, Dave from Accounts will ask if Simon could take it offline, and Sarah from HR will suggest that the brief is given to a task and finish group. The first duty of a task and finish group is, of course, to have a meeting. And so it goes. Meanwhile, those who went to lunch have actually come up with all the answers and are now wondering if they should get a third bottle. So stark is the difference between those who want a meeting and those who do not, and so ineffective is the format of a meeting, that the Golga Frinchams used a meetability index to refine the selection process for their ARC program. Those in edge case professions, such as civil servants, radio journalists and PE teachers, were invited to a meeting to discuss their placement in the ARC fleet. Those who attended were assigned to ARC B, and those who didn't presumably just went to lunch and got a fourth bottle. Do you know the Compare the Meerkat? Uh, Well, the whole campaign was conceived over a pub lunch. Oh, really? It fucking shows. (laughs) (laughs) It was basically one person saying, do you know if you you said it in a funny way, it sounds like someone saying compare the market in Russian or with a Russian accent, compare the meerkat. And so that's how it started. They'd started it as a joke. Uh, in the pub, and then, what, 15 years later, 16 years later, more? It's still going! I mean, but it's good. It's so good. Look, when you say it, and when he says it in the accent, whatever he says in the accent, you can't help but copy. Mm-hmm. I deny anyone to hear that and then, like, echo it back because you're marvelling at the accent. You're kind of working it out in your head. <laughs> Simple. It's, it's, good. it's good. The work that happens over a pub lunch... Mm-hmm is is magnificent like i I am a firm but i've worked in two no three places if you also count training as uh banned me from actually going to meetings slash trainings (laughs) because i would voice my displeasure like vocally or fuck around enough that um that i wasn't invited to meetings anymore Mm -hmm. um just because they're pointless and they're they're plainly pointless and nothing like you know, all all the things that we know and I'm vocal enough that they just stop inviting me and they just say well whatever you do do more of that while we go do this uh, and so of, of of course the technology of the meeting uh, has evolved and we now have the stand up mm. uh, which is which is a meeting that you're not allowed to call a meeting because if you do that then you're you're doing internet business uh, wrong, culture wrong. wrong yeah yeah. Is this a thing um, that actually so, happens? Yeah. Is this just a... Mm-hmm. a oh, gotcha. Yeah. No, it's a thing. Has, has, so 
everybody's been part of a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of like well, a, It's a one of those things joke, that sounds like a joke. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. but no, it's, it's, it's real. It's hey, Dan, I'm a trained scrum master, so... Oh, Christ. <laughs> what the fuck is a scrum master? You know what? I don't know. It's been so weak a thing. And I passed the exam, but I don't really know. Hang on. <laughs> how much training? It was an entire week. Fucking hell. Wow. On Agile. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. But particularly Agile for scrum masters, yeah. Broad strokes, give it, mate. Come on. Well... Don't make me fucking Google. Like, what is okay? So, uh, well, agile project management is a is essentially a way in which you are uh, you attempt to break down uh, a thing you've got to do in the, the smallest amount of uh, smallest components which it can, so you can do the most important ones first and release value as quickly as possible. Um, the <laughs> scrum master is the uh, person who stands at the edge of all that, putting the ball in and uh, then tweaking the hookers. <laughs> you know what, right? It's really fucking telling that that that, that is named after the, the poshest sport and the most public schoolboy sport, that that's fucking, like, that you're the scrum master. You're not the centre-off. You're not the... You're the fucking... You're not the midfield general. Yeah, you're the scrum master. That's... Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. God, I am not fit to work. There's another. The there's another master. management the system, Danny. That's called the biscuit game. Oh, sorry. Did someone else change it? <laughs> I tell you. I tell you what. That that you could totally get a, a productivity book out of that. You need to. Yeah, be the scrum master, not the biscuit boy. You definitely get a product out of the biscuit game. <laughs> yeah, I was very interested. John in the uh, Golga Finch of using uh, meeting sort of mutability <laughs> yes. as a as a, a sort of signal, and I think that's great because there would be a lot of grey areas, a lot of appeals, mm-hmm. um, a lot of court cases. No, you're right. There'd, there'd be a whole infrastructure set up to appeal the decision. Where there's blame, there's a claim. Where the, yes, uh, and of course, there, there's there's then going to be people paying to have their claim bumped up the the, the list because obviously there's a very finite time before the mutant Stargo eats the planet or it crashes into the sun or it does whatever it's going to do. Um, the other people in the B-Arc, like, they have to leave at some point. So, you know, there, there is, there's, there's a time crunch here. There's, you know, these, these things have got to be, um, they've got to be put in a priority task list. Uh, and, and, you know, the, 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 the first come first served approach is going to have to be taken for these, uh, for these meetings. So what well, you're saying got- is, is that John's going to be the scrum master and he's going to break you've this got to put them all, You've got to put them all in the backlog. And break them down into a, a sprint, but <laughs> that's, that's absolutely what you've got to do. But well, no, but I'm genuinely worried about the the, the, the people of Golga Finch. I mean, apart from the telephone sanitizers, and my Christ, that looks like a more important job now, doesn't it, boys? Doesn't it just? But I'm still wondering who's going to cut their hair, and I think that's the thing we're all mm-hmm. struggling with in uh, in lockdown <laughs> at the moment because some some people have got maintainable hair some people have got hair where it doesn't really matter danny and like some of us in between have got like david cameron um we've got a problem david cameron knighted his hairdresser because uh the cameras in the uh um the chamber of the house of commons are very high so he knighted his hairdresser because he'd managed to stop him looking like he was thinning on top wow that is true so i would also like to give an award to my hairdresser, uh, who's from Sutton Coalfields, um, called Adrian. He's very good. Because I am thinning on top. It's, it's thinner than it was. Uh, I'm in my mid-40s. That's not unusual. It's not embarrassing. I mean, it is embarrassing. But Nothing to be ashamed so, of. Yeah. But, so, I can't do that. And no one on my, 
in lockdown with can do that. So I'm asking the internet and I genuinely have like tried to tweet this and try to get some advice. If I like shave it down to a number two crop or something, which I could do myself, will it grow back? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's, I yeah, that's how hair works. John. I mean, mine has. It grows back. Yeah. While it was growing yeah. back, it would look, it would only expose how thin, how thin you mm. actually are on mm. top. Like uh, all the illusion, all the illusion of you not thinning on top is created a by volume. Uh, yeah, it's it's created by the the hair that you have there. So if you get rid of that, then the illusion would go. But when it, once... <laughs> it's almost as if if you have less hair, it almost looks as if you don't have as much hair. But the problem is, is my hair, yes, this is true. But the problem is, as my hair grows, the sides grow thicker, and I end up looking like Gary Oldman's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find actually it was Gary Oldman's Dracula's Monster. (laughs) So next up is Mr. Bounds uh, with the most John thing that has ever Johned ever. John. The Labour Theory of Value, the Hitchhiker's Guide says, is a way of thinking about the whole embarrassing business about what something is worth. Economists have argued about this for as long as they have existed, causing an awful lot of bad feeling and some major wars. As it turns out, the simplest thing is not to get to the right answer to the question of value to get rid of the conflict, but to remove the economists. Now they've gone, we can crack on, and one way is this. Nothing is as good as a nice cup of tea and a sit-down is one of the many incorrect things said by Earthmen. In fact, Many things are as good and indeed better than a nice cup of tea and a sit-down. One such is two pangalactic gargle blasters and the enforced lie-down that follows. However, this is a convenient example with which to think about worth. A sit-down is free, as long as you are not worried what, or who, you are to sit upon. If you're looking to boil your kettle for a nice cup of tea, The value of that coal for your charming country kitchen range is not just the value of the compacted prehistoric carbon matter now confusingly buried under Yorkshire in England. If you tried to heat a kettle with a piece of land in Yorkshire, you would get not very far at all. In your situation, the front lawn of number 53 Spring Mount Harrogate is of no use, not without someone else digging hundreds of yards under the ground and hacking it out. The labour extended by the miner is supplemented by the effort it took to cut the trees to make the props, to stop the tunnels falling on his head, to forge the steel, to make the pickaxe, and to get the food to feed his canary. Of course, the owner of the land and the mine probably takes most of the money you might pay for the coal and gives the miners a very small amount of that indeed. This is why the landowning class are called the means of production. But they would be nothing without the workers something that becomes more obvious when there's a global pandemic. The takeaway here is not a nice cup of tea, but that the coal is worth a lot of work. Why not have a coffee instead, as long as there's someone labouring to bring it to you? I love that I can visualise all of the animations for that. I love it. Genuinely, the labour theory value is really interesting. And um, yeah. Karl Marx um, is often credited with coming up with the labour theory value, but he didn't. Um, so uh, Adam Smith, um, him and his invisible wanking hand, ah, that um, it had a thing called the labor theory of value, but he didn't, 
it wasn't really the same thing. Another economist called David Ricardo refined it a little bit. And Marx was the one who came up with this theory, but doesn't call it the labour theory of value. Um, and it's kind of derided by economists, but it's really the only way of thinking about how, what something's, gen- you, you take away genuine worth and separate it from price. Price is, mm-hmm. price is flexible, price means something else, but the genuine worth of a product has to depend on the labour with which to bring it to market. And that is really complicated and you it's almost impossible to calculate because, yeah, you know, in the case of the miner, it's the people who made all the equipment, it's the people who made the, the equipment, the trains to bring it to you, the people who made the sacks, the equipment, the people who made the machines that make the sacks and so on and so forth. And you think about the the actual cost of the labour of of producing something, it's bloody huge, and yet the price we pay for it is often quite small. Hmm. I've always kind of wondered this, and I've got my own kind of theories. But how do brands fit in with the um, value labour theory? Like brands add value to something without any energy being. No, they add the price to it. They don't add value. Mm-hmm. But a person uh, would value a pair of Nike trainers more than they would a, a pair of. But that wouldn't be the empirical value of them. So if you pay if you pay more than something's worth, what you're doing is creating um, surplus value, which is exploited by the, the 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 owners of the means of production because you. No, despite your labour, you can't produce anything without the cooperation or without the ownership of the of the means of production. So you need to own some. You need to be in cahoots with the person who owns that land to dig the coal. You know, even though you've created the value by your labour, uh, and they take the surplus value and um, well, spunk it up the wall. <laughs> so this all ties to all the all the all the stuff in Marx around exchange values and use values, right? That's, yeah, that's basically totally. what 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 this is. So sort of related to this in terms of like commodification and the, the prices of things and then the social value that people put onto things. I've been thinking a lot about pasta. Um, oh, God, yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about the fact that when we were at uni, we used to play poker for pasta. <laughs> and like that was, that was a joke. But actually, that's quite... That, that's, that's a currency pretty much now, isn't it? You could, if you if you went to the casino, I think they'd probably cash that in quite well. I don't, I don't think they'd they'd be laughing at you anymore. Well, before the before the lockdown, I went to um, uh, the supermarket near us, and I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to panic buy or anything. Mm-hmm. But what I do, I'm just going to calmly buy a lot. Oh, no, what I, what, I, what I do want, and I think a lot of people did this, is enough food to last me the two weeks I'm not allowed to go outside the bloody house. Uh, so you went, so, but you went to the pasta. At least I did at the time, and all the normal, all the conchigli was gone, all the fusilli, all the um, uh, rigatoni, all the spaghetti. All the, listen no, listen all to the these words telly. rolling off no. his great bar tongue. Conchigli. What is what is this? Conchigli. What, what is that? It's the shells. That the is. shell one, mate. I said a conch. Okay. Conch. Okay, go on but then. The, uh, but the but no, but the action man bow ties. Go on, yeah, yeah. But the yeah. the spaghetti had not gone. Oh really? Because spaghetti is slightly more difficult to cook because you have to bend it halfway through the boiling process. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else wasn't gone? The whole wheat pasta. Ah, uh, the whole wheat. But you see, for for us, everything was gone except. 
for the lasagna. And that's been the case for the last two weeks. Uh, there's no pasta to be had, but no one wants to fuck with lasagna sheets, apparently. <laughs> It's just I got some pasta lads. I got some I, I got some on Amazon Prime. I'm like a king. <laughs> we just it's like, we, we're desperate we're not going to starve. But oh shit, we're not we're not going to boil our pasta for 5 more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just to break down that gluten. <laughs> Maybe it's I think there's a certain type of working class person that does all right now that they they were maybe like a little bit more like less wealthy and now they do all right like my mum mm-hmm. that always has two or three weeks of worth of food in their cupboards yeah you, anyway. you have staples and stuff yeah like my mum hasn't had to panic buy because she's been panic buying for like 25 years <laughs> or so um and so yeah we've only had to go out and get uh, uh, several things because my mum always has like really weirdly full cupboards anyway like like, I think you have to once you've had kids. I think that and and the kids get to a certain age, and I think I think possibly for both of uh, the Johns that their kids aren't at that age yet. But I'm thinking of your mum, Dan, um, especially with two boys in the house, and boys bring more boys. And what boys do is boys eat lots of bread mm-hmm. um, and and lots of other staples, and they'll just they'll just go through stuff. And so I think there's probably a time at which. Uh, the the people who do the the buying of the things for the house just get to a point that they're like, well, um, Simon's gonna come round again, and Simon always eats half a loaf of bread when he's here, so I'll make sure there's a, a you know some of the cheap stuff. We'll get some stuff for us, but we'll put the cheap stuff in the freezer, uh, and we can just take it out when when we know Simon's gonna be round. Um, and I th- I think yeah, I think parents like they get into that mindset, and and it probably never leaves you. Agreed. So I, I really, I, I really wanted to talk about the the um, the value of of things. No, I can tell. And it was uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, John. But I've also, I've also been threatening you and another podcast that I would finally explain the labour theory of value to them. <laughs> but it's we we are as Danny says we're we're talking we're looking at the reckoning of things we're looking at the stacking up of things, and I I would be. F- fascinated to see um sort of tesco's um ordering patterns on not just pasta not just bog roll but all sorts of things and seeing you know um all that you know they shove that stuff to the front when they've got all those flower you know they put some flowers at the front mm-hmm. and the pre-packed sandwiches and then yeah. uh, then you get like the printer ribbons and birthday cards and things and i'm just Fascinated to see where the hot spots or whatever in there in the shops of mm-hmm. um, what's the heat map look what, like? What the yeah you know and when it when it when the shit hit the fan, how many you know people were definitely buying toilet roll to wipe the fan, but were they buying fans? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think the thing is like the the supply line has always been knife edge anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, if you order too much, you have to throw it away, and that mm. is worse than running out. Because if you run out, there's mm-hmm. a chance that they might go buy something else instead. Mm-hmm. So we were like, I'm not a huge advocate of this idea that people were panic buying. People were buying mm-hmm. because they're going to be in their house for a little bit longer. Like, yeah. there's four adults in this house all day, every day now, and that requires a lot more. Uh, think of it like this: like all, uh, oh, like all the food, guy. all the food sold by Chippies, by uh, Pretta, by by McDonald's, like mm-hmm. all, all the restaurants takeaway food that that normally would have been feeding people every single day. That's on the supermarkets. Has now uh, now been took up by the supermarkets. 
I don't think people were panic buying and they were calmly buying enough food for everybody to eat. Yeah. And that wasn't enough. Uh, that wasn't being fed enough by the fine line supply line, uh, supply chain ordering that was done. Like the, the, the fact that you, like on a normal day, you'd go to a supermarket and go, Oh, they've run out of that means that they were only ever fucking guessing that the bare minimum of what people needed each day. Anyway, it's just struck me that, um, at no point in any of the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy, in any of the formats, does anyone ever go shopping? It, uh, um, Arthur comes back from shopping because um, he's been at a um, a galactic megamart and he has the the thing about the um, oh, but that's like a, the, that's uh, like a duty free like shop. The, the elephant. He wasn't going to get some. Yes, uh, no, it is, it is, yes, but no one actually just goes to like a, yeah the the Londis. Space Londis. It's Space like Londis. No, it's like in, someone once complained about EastEnders, and they said EastEnders is not realistic. No one ever catches their pocket on the handle of a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, then, uh, is Danny with some sobering thoughts on isolation. I'm isolated uh, for a potential of uh, ten more weeks. I, I'm not holding my breath on that, like because. You know, that would kill me. But I'm um, like 10 more weeks is the minimum I'm going to be held up for. And uh, I've been thinking quite a lot about isolation. And uh, this what is what I think the guide would say. Isolation isn't just a depressing song by Joy Division. It's also a depressing necessity in our time of plague. We've mentioned before that space is big. See entries for space, big and peanuts. And so big, it's near enough infinite that the only people that would argue that point don't really go to the same parties as us anyway. Now, sentient life is incredibly finite on both axes of population and duration. There is easily enough space for any sentient being to never have to encounter another for however long the lifespan is. It is perhaps telling them that all the beings inside of space choose to clump together. Indeed, some might wonder what's the point in developing sentience or a personality at all if you don't have someone else to show it off to. Isolation, therefore, is detrimental to nearly all sentient beings. Some cultures choose isolation as its most severe punishment, and others choose to sidestep the problems of isolation inherent in space travel by cryogenically freezing each other rather than playing Uno for 25 years. A practice a lot more popular since it was explained to the surfing Lux Frangians that these ships were not in fact their cultural equivalent of ice cream vans with particularly crunchy chalk ices. If faced with a long period of isolation, it is advised that you keep busy. Maybe take up that hobby you've always fancied. Tornarsuki and knitting, perhaps, or eye jousting. Neither would require any major body modifications, and the equipment can be found at the bottom of the locker in any medium-sized space cruiser. You could drink those books you've always told yourself you would, and since the Babelfish has made learning a language redundant, why not learn to excrete smells from another culture? If faced with a long period of isolation with another person, don't. If you like that person, it was inevitable after a few short months, you'll be ready to smash their favourite face in with a hammer. And if you don't like that person, according to Neptunian philosopher Richard Cortiz's law of inverse rom-com, you will end up married within the year. On the whole, it's probably best to pop into the freezer and take your chances with the Lux Fragians. Can, can we can, can we be meta for a second? Can we talk about how how did we all find writing in Douglas Adams's voice? I've been doing it for the last year because I've got a kids' book. <laughs> 
um, John and I had a little chat about this earlier on. It, it's um, it's quite easy to slip into. I think what we what we decided was that um, it's because it's something that all boys try when they're in sixth form. Yeah, yeah, the, the sort of the, the formal the formal style. Mm. There's like yeah. a formality to it, but then then dropping out of the formality for the punch. It's very it's very Python. It's that that sort of juxtaposition. Well, even pre Python, I think. Um, but it's, it sort of feels very British and very kind of Radio Four mm-hmm. um, to 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 deliver something very very silly in the most pompous way possible. I think it's it, I think it's difficult to do well. Like I'm I'm still not happy. Yeah. I'm still not happy with it. There's there's things that I didn't quite get. I think what I appreciated in yours, uh, I think especially, but but all all of the um, uh, all of the works is the depth. There's there's sort of depth of discussion of the topic um, and and sort of emotional resonance. Um, it's not sort of you know stuff that'll make you cry, but like there is there is an emotional core which uh, I I found in all three of the the pieces, um, which is my, mine's a lot more silly and 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 kind of frivolous, um, but I think that is. That's one of the reasons that p- perhaps the guide meant as much as it did to me, because like comedians and comedy helped me understand my politics and my belief system when I when I grow up. Mm-hmm. They helped me figure out what I thought about the world, and and this is is a part of that. Um, there's something about that device of the the spoonful of sugar that really can help. You know, not not just the medicine good, but actually help you figure out what it is that you actually think. Think. I, th- I think that's. There's something about Adams, especially writing in the guide voice, that you have to talk about universal truths. Yes. And not mm. just universal as in every human, but every sentient being that has ever existed yes. ever. That's really interesting, actually, Danny, because it, it, it kind of helps you land the joke because you can, it gives you a framework where what you're saying is true. So then you can do something silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and and you, the, 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 there's a comedian thing where local jokes get you local audiences. Yeah. So uh, they always try to be as universal as possible. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you have to be as universal as it doesn't even apply to like your particular species. Like it's it's, it's all. Mm-hmm. It, the, the thing that I had in mind is that it has to be true for robots as well. But mm-hmm. mm. so any robot. Any robot that's burdened with this idea of sentience and and having like a, a personality, it has to be true for them as well. Mm-hmm. I think it like really helped me kind of, yeah, yeah. It, it puts you it puts you in the right headspace. Yeah, uh, and I th- I think that's the thing that that I was I was seeing was that that thread of of, of universal truth um, that there is. You are it's, it's the you know, macrocosm microcosm thing. Um, and it is it is such a weird twist on the so the observational humor joke and and you know th- things about comedies that like specifics are funny, um, and I think that's partly why we have so many silly names and so many of the of the we know these like the the Jatravarted people of Vodal Six because when you're talking about something universal to be able to quickly dip in and do something really specific about this one thing and then sort of dip out again mm-hmm. um, is is wonderful but the 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 weird his twist on observational humour by really extending it out to, like you said, to, to anything sentient um, is it, it's, it's unlike anything else. It's unlike any other type of observational humour. And I think it was at its worst, you know, when, when we talked about the um, 
for whatever reason, I never got on with the the restaurant thing, the um, the Beast Dramatics, because it just felt a little bit too like a Type Five. But everything else that he is doing observational humour, but yeah, I think that's like that. I think you just articulated something that I never really, I I always believed, but never really thought out loud before. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But like that, that it's that's a really cromulent thought. Speaking of isolation, though, I mean, th- this is the thing. So we were talking earlier, like nothing in my life has, has like practically changed, but man, I do feel it, um, and it is, uh, it is, it's unpleasant, um, and and it's it's really brought home for me. Uh, some some very deeply personal stuff that it's um, probably not right for, uh, for 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 this particular podcast, and maybe that'll be a, a private call for us later. But um, it's it really has brought a few things into sort of sharp relief um, about I think something about hearing everybody else share their experiences of isolation. I mean, I, I shared something to to our shared WhatsApp group a few days ago, which is I, I sort of the the meme. Um, there's a, a this uh, Bane meme of, I was born in the darkness, you merely adopted it. And when I see people talking about how they can't be with their loved one or they can't, or whatever, I'm just like, oh, I, I feel for you. I feel for you. Try that for 20 years. Conversely, I'm getting, I'm getting something slightly, slightly weird from it. What I'm getting, in, and particularly from the, um, let's say, the sort of commentariat, uh, thing is essentially oh shit we've all got loads more spare time mm. and uh, let's do this and let's do that and how are we going to fill the time I'm going to read a book I'm going to watch this I'm going to do this I'm going to live tweet plucking my asses or whatever and they're going <laughs> to um, I tell you what there's a, there's a TikTok in that but the <laughs> the uh, I just think it's like, okay so right uh, not only if I'm uh, still uh, trying to work I've now got to mm-hmm. look after the kids that um, used to go to, you know, to nursery and be away for a little bit. Rather than just pop into the shops at lunchtime, I've now got to plan gathering food like a military operation, like mm-hmm. shoveling little wooden loaves of bread across a map and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> thing, you know, and, and, and worrying about that with a long stick with a sort of like, um, <laughs> like a snooker rest that's filled in. And yep. Then, <laughs> yep. And then, you know, and, th- and things like that. I've also got to like continually worry about everybody I know who's in any way vulnerable and or stupid. Um, <laughs> and worry about people that I know who have, can't stay inside the house and stuff. And you're just thinking, I. So you're going to learn Italian then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. I've, I'm fucking knackered. Yeah. I am not going to finish my novel. God, that was the longest excuse for not fucking writing <laughs> I have ever fucking heard in my life. What was your excuse for not finishing your novel before Pandemic. the fucking lockdown? <laughs> he had a condition. The, 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 do you know what, dear reader? Do you know really what? Like, I edited the first three chapters of that novel, and it's really fucking good. Like, it genuinely is. I really want to read the rest of it. So now the fact that he's not finishing the novel isn't only a, oh, mate, you should do that. It's like, I really want to find out how that fucking pans out, mate. You should really fucking do that. It's a difficult time. It's a wrong, it's a wrong time to write a novel. I think it would be completely um, infected by the whole thing. I've been just been... Uh... As opposed to all the other times that you haven't wrote the novel... <laughs> Danny, rather than dragging John for uh, for not finishing his book, I, I do want to I, I do want to acknowledge uh, what what he said because um, 
a lot a lot of the takes that are out there about like you know oh yeah don't be too hard on yourself in these difficult times but it's like that that narrative is making me be quite hard on myself because like like john i don't i don't have a lot of time left um no i'm not ill i mean like yeah, i mean in yeah, the I was day. Gonna say, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> none of us have a lot of time left john you mean in in the day yeah so this 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 idea has taken hold that we're all on sabbatical but, but actually mm. you know um we're not, and, and even if you have got time, you're probably worrying about how you're going to make up the last twenty percent of your wages anyway. So, and there's a lot of talk about um, people who are all going to spend the, the, this extra time they've got starting podcasts. So, uh, have any of you guys got any new ideas for a podcast? Yeah, nah, I think they're overrated to be honest. <laughs> finally, here's my submission um, on the topic of panic. The Encyclopedia Galactica defines panicking as a sudden and acute onset of anxiety, often accompanied by bouts of irrational behaviour. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy defines panicking as a reaction to not having read the cover of the book. Despite the largeness and friendliness of those famous words, the book has little to say on the topic of avoiding panic, and simply counsels that if one is panicking, one should cut it out, and quick. An earlier edition of the guide relates the story of the Yahuni people of Hysterios 9, who were unique among lifeforms in that upon entering into a state of heightened anxiety, they would secrete from a gland located beneath their vestigial tailbone a thick, oily substance that, when refined, could provide enough fuel to heat the home of an average biped for a month. It is therefore unsurprising that, upon discovering this fact, after spending an evening with three Yahuni females, a rubber glove and a complete lack of moral fibre, the explorer Hwernin Krnurschnermerger patented the now infamous panic drone in an effect to mass-produce the substance. The system works like this. A willing Yahuni, inhabitants of the planet Hysterios 9 are remunerated for their labour, is psychically tethered to a nearby free-floating spherical drone, which monitors the level of anxiety in the subject's brain and at a suitable time administers a concentrated dose of panic by, for example, reminding the subject that they are late for school and haven't even started their homework yet. This is especially effective on older Yahuni who have not attended school in several decades. The economy of the planet boomed as a result of the scheme, and its once rural settlements began to be subsumed by the urban sprawl, until it was discovered that the nature of the drone's programming meant they were unable to tell the difference between the mind of an organic being and that of a nearby drone. The upshot of which was that, in densely populated areas, the drones would spend more time inducing panic among their own kind than inflicting it on the Yahuni. The problem became so acute that the subjects who were being paid for their secretions, which was at this point almost all of them, began to grow anxious over the fact that there was now so little to panic about. Eventually the economy collapsed and the Yahuni went back to living lives of quiet obscurity. However, they are immortalised in this joke, which was number 3487 in the book 10,010 More Jokes to Make at Other Beings' Expense, and which goes like this. What did one Yahuni say to the other Yahuni to make him panic? Literally anything. Do we, are, are we, do we have panickers here? Do we have people who feel like they panic? 
I don't, hmm. I don't, don't panic, but sometimes I just I do reach a little point where I go, I, I need to sit down and look at Patino. You get a bit fraught. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think and now you will be calculating the value of that. Yes. yes. I, I think that I'm type of there's a there's a type of person that whenever panic happens they just assume that the worst is going to happen anyway Mm -hmm. and then go well fuck it that's going to happen i'm just going to get used to that now Mm -hmm. rather than like like hysterically try and figure out and what what they can do they're just like all right we're all dead fuck it i don't care Yeah. Um, you go straight to nihilism. I go straight to oh well, that's done now. <laughs> like nice uh, run while we had it, lads. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I have the kind of Father Ted approach, which uh, when um, uh, when it was discovered that uh, the plane that he was on was going to crash, um, killing everybody, suddenly sort of became quite kind of business like and like I'm terrible in most circumstances, but when something actually goes wrong, I tend to be quite pragmatic mm. um and and that's when sort of the the brain actually engages and I'm, I'm able to process instructions one after another when it's actually something real that's going on i tend to be okay as soon as the danger is passed i'm back to sort of being a potato again okay real real to real talk on that then and i'm very sorry this isn't going to be funny but i'm going to say anyway which, which is i like i think the generally speaking that is how most of most of us are when we're when we're able to get past the immediate the immediate issue, right? Mm. And it just gives tell to the lie about like the blitz and the war and all this stuff, mm. all this exceptionalism that people mm. talk about about how everybody dealt with that. It's like you wake up one day and something has changed, and most of us are going to go, "All right, I'm going to have to tack around this and get through it." And you and you crack on and you do it, and it's not because you were exceptional, wonderful, patriotic British people with flags, and there isn't a problem that the current generation of kids would never get through a war because they fucking would, and they're going to get through mm-hmm. this. And the the thing that's the thing that's making me smile every day is knowing that when we get to the end of COVID nineteen, no one's going to be able to say that millennials can't cope with anything again. And I'm so happy for young people all of a sudden because. They are going to have proven themselves, and they mustn't be wankers about it. Yep, I'm reminded of the original lyrics of "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas," um, which are um, something along the lines of "Through the years, we uh, we all shall be together uh, if the fates allow." Mm-hmm. Um, but for, um, but for now, we'll uh, have to muddle through somehow. I believe <laughs> that, and that's that. Genuinely, that's what the words were because it was a wartime song. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was about like, it'll be fine once, you know, we'll, we'll have a Christmas when we can kind of thing. Yeah. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best for now. We'll just crack on. We'll just yeah. do, do what we do. And that's what we're all doing. We're just going, well, there isn't another choice. No. Um, so let's just life for a bit. Let's just carry on lifing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll, in, in, in September, we'll all turn around and go, oh yeah, like at some point. There was a there wasn't like a line that delineated the crisis is over. Mm-hmm. We've just sort of slowly eased ourselves out of it, and and then we'll sort of look behind us and go, oh god, remember that that awful time there, yeah. And and I hope that we can remember that we, um, that we we were there, and that not just necessarily that we stepped up, mm-hmm. but like we all we all worked and we all did what we could. 
Yeah, that's that's the hope anyway. Also, but I I don't know like like the, we get to document we get to document our reactions with the podcast. We get to document our reactions on blogs on social media. Like those records will survive. Mm-hmm. I've been part of several Facebook groups that people have added me into about, and they're hysterical, horrible people, essentially closing ranks and. Uh, like advocating their own inadequacies um, very publicly. Um, like, and I don't believe that's anything different to the generations before us. I just don't mm-hmm. think that those generations before us were never recorded yeah. in the shitty things that they said. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I've recently led, uh, left a Facebook group that I was added into where the majority of people were very, very, the, like the solution of the problem was hitting someone. Okay. So, ah, this. So, yes. Yeah. So, so, so someone's uh, someone's buying too much toilet roll. He should be fucking spanked. He should be fucking hit. I'll give him a slap. Like, tell me where he is. I'll get, oh, this kid's playing at the bottom of my street. Every reaction was they should be slapped. Where are the parents? They should be giving them a, like the like the. the uh, and maybe the nobility that we're inferring onto our past generation is only due mm-hmm. to absence and projection rather than actual document documentation. Oh, it's of, a rose. It's a rose tinting. Yeah. It's oh, absolutely a rose tinting. Oh, Every period horrible, was always attitudes. Yeah. 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 Every period was always better than, than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always a golden age when, uh, you know, people were people, small furry creatures from Alison, Alison Tory were real <laughs> thoughts. You know, there was, there was like, there's always has been that. And, and, you know, it was ever thus and twever, twever shall be. Because we get to reveal these things about ourselves and because we inherently, we can relate to them. We can relate to them. When they were talking about the kid, uh, the people that were letting their kids play with each other in the street, I can relate with the people that go like, I don't want to slap the kids, I'm going to slap the parents. I can relate with that thought. And maybe there's something in the fact that we can reveal these the worst part of ourselves and still recognise those things within us and maybe be part of a movement where we're all kind of equal and the same and 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 we don't think we don't other the other people because we were as vulnerable as them during this crisis as as we were at the risk of driving this stake further in and and this not being at all funny um <laughs> across the road from me there is a family um and i i, I think it's two I think it's two parents and two or three kids. And one of them I know has got some sort of, I don't know. uh, I don't think it's a developmental problem, perhaps some kind of um, very advanced autism that I can just hear. And they are, they are a road away from me and I can hear them uh, and I can hear her. And um, I think about them at the moment and how fucking hard life must be and how there has got to be times when you just want to go out and just stand outside and have a fag or just go and do something because you've got to be out of the house because mm-hmm. um, there are people that for through no fault of their own are incredibly hard to live with. And that's not because of anything they've done. Um, but 
the more that we can extend compassion to people that mm. we wouldn't otherwise i don't know i don't we we won't we won't heal the world and make it a better place but maybe we can just be a little bit more patient with each other mm. it's true that the sort of people i think the sort of people that normally panic <laughs> are probably the best suited to this sort of situation because <laughs> um they know what panic's like. They know what panic is. And you know how, like, when you're, when you, you, you've you forgotten to do your homework or something, you get into class and it's going to be the worst thing in the world or you think you've said something really awful um, to mm. someone when you're pissed and you eventually see them and it's all right. Mm. Um, there's, it's normally all right. It's normally... Yeah. Okay, and the vast majority of times it's fine, isn't it? Yeah, and it's like that whole thing about um, things that we think are bloody awful that we've done. Um, normally, we're the only people that really remembers them because people you love and who care about you don't care, and people, I mean, yeah. essentially, fuck people who um, you don't care about who hang on to that. Yeah, but there's. This may not be all right. There's um there's a, a an Ian Forster short story called um normally Ian Forster would write about like people in country houses and playing tennis and things like that and bright young things in um uh, you know cloche hats and uh, English class between the before the First World War and around that time. But there's a Ian Forster short story called The Machine Stops, and the. It doesn't matter what happens in the story, but the pretense of the world in which the machine stops happens is that everybody lives isolatedly, underground, uh, gets everything given to them by a machine, um, and they they talk to everybody via video conferencing, essentially. And you could shuffle the... um, the sort of tropes from every dystopian novel going... And you can see them all coming, and, and do. But most dystopian novels end all right, don't they? <laughs> yeah, most, <laughs> except for the zombie ones. Yes. Yeah, the road's not a cracking, uplifting read. If, if I'm honest, <laughs> the world's not going to end. I don't know any books in which that happens. <laughs> So uh, while we're uh, well, we've got a, a few minutes left here um, to you know just just to kill because we've uh, we're obviously running ahead. That's an editing joke because we're definitely not so efficient. Uh, has anyone got any survival tips? Um, I've got about twenty four uh, rolls of bog roll. And it's not because I panic bought. It's just because I I went to Amazon Prime and that's the only thing that they had available. So so on this, I, I subscribe to a, a sort of a bog roll as a service type system. <laughs> no, but you're it, one of those people. Well, no, it's, it's yeah, but it's like the um, essentially they you, you get it in bulk and you're buying it and it's some of the money's going to charity and all that. It's, it's, okay. it's good research. Do you get like different different patterns every month? Um, yeah, every roll's got a different pattern. Yeah, it depends what every time I wipe it, it's always a it's a surprise. Oh, to have a look. Oh but the what you've I think the one a good tip to use if anybody's struggling uh, would be the um, uh, the the marine system, uh, Bear Grylls or one of these, or Andy Ryan, Andy McNabb would probably tell you about this. If you've got three-ply, one sheet, you can tear it in different ways. And what you've got to do is wrap your finger in it and really get your finger in. <laughs> 
because the survivalist thing is 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 that you put you, you just pick your ass out clean with your finger and then wipe your finger with the one, one sheet of bog roll before the crisis and the the company who are called who gives a crap by the way they've they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're really good but the the be- well done to them before we've got the a referral cri- code haven't we, we can- yeah before the, before the crisis uh, they've run out now i think but before the crisis they used Aww. to email me on a regular basis going come on why don't you buy some more toilet roll? And I'm just going, <laughs> fuck me, how much do you think I shit? <laughs> My bum's clean, I'm fine. Bit, I don't want no more. Do you want me to send you a picture to prove that I'm <laughs> I'm not skimping? Here's my clean bum. Here's my lovely clean bum. Yeah, just have more showers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I, my, my, my tip would be to sort of loop back to what we were talking about, about the, the kids at the bottom of the road is um, you, you're allowed you're allowed your walk, right, every day or you run or mm-hmm. you cycle. There's certain limits. You can, you, can go, you can go to the shop, you can go for a walk, you can do it once a day. Um, I just, unfortunately, my, I think my survival tip at the moment is um, everyone's a cop. So mm. just just... You know, keep your nose clean and don't <laughs> just don't, don't take the piss because someone's going to see you. Everyone's a cop; they're all at it. They're all watching. Just stay, they're just all stay indoors until you, unless you really, really need to be out. Yeah, just fucking stay indoors. Remain indoors. You're telling the audience of a Hitchhiker's mm. Guide to the Galaxy podcast to stay, stay indoors. Home. To stay, so they should stay indoors. Yeah, <laughs> stay home and play Dungeons and Dragons. Well, that that just about wraps it up for the leopard. Um, if you've got any ideas of um, things that you, uh, the don't the don't panic boys can bring their uh, their brand of ribald dry humour, their sideways uh, glance to, their, can you think of subjects that we can bring our side eye to? Uh, then you can email feedback at btlpodcast.com. It's been an, an absolute pleasure to uh, to be with you for another week. Um, we don't know when we'll be here again, not because any of us is ill or anything, it's just because we ain't got anything planned. That's got it. Sorry, mine was more of a wet cough. He's got the Rona. He's got the Rona. Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck him off. We've, we've given it you all now. Um, but uh, if, you, if you do want to follow people, most of these people don't seem to be on Twitter anymore, but uh, you can follow Danny on Twitter at Probably Drunk. Um, also, uh, Instagram, your, was it Probably Drunk? Ni- it's not 19, is it? It's, it's a number. Uh, 23. 23. Probably Drunk 23 uh, on Instagram as well. Uh, Boundy you will find on, on Twitter. Bounder. Uh, John Hickman has bravely quit Twitter. I know how it feels. I did that and then I came back because I need approval. Uh, and so um, you'll find me at, uh, at I am Stedman. I mean, they'll um, find my name at John Hickman. You'll find your name at John Hickman. And at some point, um, at some point when this all blows over, I'll go back on there and see if I can get more than four likes for a great piece of content. Ah, <laughs> oh, should go viral. <laughs> We will be with you again as soon as we can figure out uh, how the hell this machine works. So until then, share and enjoy. Did you both make the same joke at the same time? Yeah. We we both made a, a joke about the biscuit game, yeah. <laughs> but we were coming at it. One of them will be ducks in the final edit. It's fucking <laughs> song or something. Yeah, there should be a fucking forfeit. That's it's not the first time it's happened. We're very, oh. we're all very funny. <laughs> <laughs>
I do a little bit now on uh, contactless cards. Contactless cards, everybody tells you to fucking tap them. You don't have to. Uh. Oh, dear. What's all that about? What's all that about? <laughs> What's all that about? Contactless. 